0: Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. You know, I've been self-employed since I was 18 years old. And uh, I started writing books, however, and publishing books before then, when I was about, eh, really about 15 years old. And before I became... Self employed, which was due to the success of uh, a book I wrote called Haunted Asheville, the very first book of Asheville, North Carolina ghost stories ever published. I did work a couple of jobs as a clerk. And when you hear about what those jobs were, you won't be surprised because they seem very fitting when it comes to my interests. My first job when I was 16, the legal age to work in the state of North Carolina, was uh, as a clerk at B. Dalton Bookseller in the Asheville Mall, which no longer exists. I believe that B. Dalton was eventually purchased by Barnes & Noble. But that was the, the big bookstore. I mean, there was also a Walden Books there, but B. Dalton had the The floor level, you know, the ground floor level. And Walden Books was up the steps. So B. Dalton was the big one. And I learned a hell of a lot from being a clerk at B. Dalton Booksellers um, about what it's like to realistically sell your product. It's one thing to write a book, it's another thing to be there on the floor and to see how the book is sold. Now, of course, all that's changed due to the internet. People order books on the internet uh, they go to amazon.com and you can either get an ebook or you get a printed book whatever but that was uh, a great experience and then my second job was i worked as a clerk at a video store which was first called tonight's feature and then they switched their name to movies and their mascot was a cow yes i definitely come from redneck country the mountains of western North Carolina, my friends. And uh, I, yes, I donned a cow costume on a few occasions and even was in a parade uh, to sell videos. But, you know, still, I was was involved in the things that I love, books and movies. And while I was working at movies, or tonight's feature, I don't know exactly when, that's when I discovered Errol Morris. Now, Errol Morris is one of the best documentarians in the world um and without going into his story what i will tell you is that the first documentary i ever watched that was produced by errol morris was called a brief history of time and it was a documentary about of course stephen hawking but I think it might have been the first real documentary about Stephen Hawking. So, like, now we all know who the guy is. But uh, back then, when Errol Morris made this uh, film, which I presume was sometime in the probably the 80s, um, a lot of people never heard of Stephen Hawking. And uh, it was... Uh, Striking all of it I mean, you know, the way that the movie was put together The subject matter, I mean, it was just just a great film And so I've been following Stephen Hawking's work uh, since then And, of course, as you may or may not know Stephen Hawking recently died He died in March He was 76 years old Which is much, much older Than he was supposed to be I think that he was not supposed to live to be 30 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, something crazy. Um, and, and I don't have to tell you who Stephen Hawking is. And so uh, the fact that he lived to 76 is kind of a miracle. And not only did he live to that age, but he continued to thrive. He continued to produce profound work. And uh, it's one of those um, odd i guess paradoxes in life that you have this guy with his mind that can soar all over the place but a body that he can't control maybe um there's something literally insightful about that 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 you can either be on this side or on that side of the spectrum so to speak that you you're either more on the animal side or more on the the mental side i don't know but uh he had nothing to do but sit there and think all the time and then talk to people about what he was thinking and you know he he held the the physics chair there at Oxford, just like Isaac Newton did so just before he died, his last work was released, and um, I'm sure you've seen this if not. Um, I I read about it, and then Lauren sent me a link to it, and a lot of people are talking about it. Uh, And and instead of me trying to, well, I guess I will interpret it for you, but first, let me just read you the article, okay? Um, This has been all over the global news, but this particular article comes from The Telegraph. And the headline is, Professor Stephen Hawking's Final Theory. The universe is a hologram. So here, and this is kind of a short article, which is why I'm going to read it. Stephen Hawking has revealed from beyond the grave, his final scientific theory, that the universe is a hologram. The cosmologist who died on March 14th has challenged previous theories of cosmic inflation and the multiverse, In a new paper published in the Journal of High Energy Physics Scientists generally believe that for a tiny fraction of a second after the Big Bang The universe expanded incredibly rapidly before settling into its present state Filled with stars and galaxies, that's called the inflation theory But some have proposed that on a grander global scale Inflation goes on forever giving rise to a multiverse a number of different universes each with their own laws of physics professor hawking was always troubled by this idea which at a fundamental level cannot be reconciled with einstein's theory of general relativity in an interview last year he said quote i have never been a fan of the multiverse Working with a Belgian colleague, Professor Hawking extended the weird notion of a holographic reality to explain how the universe came into being from the moment of the Big Bang. The new theory embraces the strange concept that the universe is like a vast and complex hologram. In other words, 3D reality is an illusion and that the apparently solid world around us and the dimension of time is projected from information stored on a flat 2D surface. Uh, his colleague there is Professor Thomas Hertog, and it says Hawking and Hertog's variation of the holography theory overcomes the problem of combining eternal inflation with general relativity. I'm sure you know exactly what that means, right? Okay, so anyway, um, look, I've never been great at math. um, But supposedly he has worked out something on paper uh, that's got the math in tow which demonstrates that, indeed, um, this is a big hologram. And I think it's especially interesting to think about the idea of it being projected from a 2D surface, because, you know, 2D is, basically means flat. So it's, it's like shining a light, like a, shining a flashlight through a piece of film and then projecting that through a magnifying glass into a movie. Um, And I am especially happy to see that this is going to go down as the, the last great thing that Stephen Hawking supposedly put on paper because I have been saying this for many, many, many years. And I can prove it. And that's because 10 years ago, I wrote a book about it. And the book was called... The Secret Wisdom of Kukulkan Interdimensional Contact In a holo-sentient World Now you will notice that I, When I first wrote the book I was going to call it holographic But instead I went for holo-sentient, Because what that means is You can feel it um because you know holographic means well this is a thing you can see but it goes beyond that it goes to something you can feel and so that's why i invented this word called holosentient. but it's the same thing it's just taking it to a deeper level and i want to tell you a little bit about this book that i wrote 10 years ago called the secret wisdom of Khan. it is about interdimensional contact and it's about Ghosts, aliens, cryptids, interdimensional beings, and you. Okay? That's what this book is about. How you fit into this picture. And when I wrote The Secret Wisdom of Kukulkan, um, <laughs> it's funny because I I, I started to send it to a publisher, and I was like, hell no, hell no. I'm not letting a single editor put his or her grubby little hands on this, because I've been down that road. I have two books published by the biggest publisher in the world, Simon & Schuster. I've published with big people, little people. And every time, there's somebody who comes in and takes your words and rearranges them. And I said, not with this one. Not with this one Not with the secret wisdom of Kukulkan No And so I decided I was going to publish this Through my own company Shadowbox Enterprises And that's what I did And so maybe you've read it Uh, It's out there in print But if you've never heard of this book Let me tell you a little bit more about it Um Something like 11, 12 years ago, I led an expedition to the Mayan pyramids in Belize. Now, of course, at that time, everybody was wondering if there was anything to the whole like 2012 phenomenon that maybe, you know, it, there was going to be the end of the world or some age of enlightenment or, or you know, and, and you can still argue to this day that something big did happen in 2012 but anyway uh, so I led a group of people very specially selected people down to Belize and we went to a place called Lamanai which is supposedly the most secluded of all the Mayan ruins and I mean I'm talking in the middle of the thick jungle we had to take a bus for miles and miles and miles and then then we had to get on a boat and go down a river i think I means something like the river of the crocodile you know and there's monkeys swinging all over the place finally we get deep in the jungle we go walking through the woods and you see the most gigantic trees and leaves i've ever seen in my life and then bit by bit this ancient mayan civilization begins to emerge and the cool thing about this being a secluded civilization was that um because it's not the most popular mayan site at least at that time they would still let you climb on things you know a lot of these mayan sites now are roped off and you can't touch them here you could climb you could crawl up to the top of a pyramid, and that's exactly what we did, you know? So we, we crawled, and you have to crawl, by the way, because if you've never been to a Mayan pyramid, the distance between the steps is like two feet. You know, you can't just walk up. You have to crawl up. And so when you're standing on top of a Mayan pyramid, boy, that's an experience you're never gonna forget. And at that point point i realized you know the only folks who were even allowed to be up here were the priests and if you had this coveted position where you could be at the top of the pyramid you could actually foretell the future because you have a vantage point beyond the foliage of the jungle so you could look into the distance and see if a storm was coming or if a ship was coming and these other people who are never allowed to get that vantage point they don't know that information so you could come down and be like it's going to rain in an hour and then you look like you know you're some kind of god or demigod or whatever to these people Because sure as shit There's a big gray cloud coming That you were able to see That they never saw And people live their entire lives Never having that vantage point Only reserved for the priests Well, while we were there We went to an area That is common among these ancient Um, Sites that were, you know, popular among the island tribes called a batay. And the batay was a ball court, basically. It was like their arena where they would go for entertainment. And they would play uh, a game there, which pretty much consisted of taking a big, thick ball of rubber. And, uh, trying to bounce it, you know, with your knees, you couldn't touch it with your hands. You had to use your body and your knees and your feet, and you'd try to compete with another team to, to score a goal. Um, and it was so hard to do it that you only had to score one to win. That was it. You know, whoever got it in won. and, If you lost, they would kill you. Okay? they I mean, think of that. If they lost... Boy, today you see people crying and stuff when their team loses. Imagine if they were going to kill all the players at the end of the game. So, if you won then you had the honor of them cutting your scrotum or something like that and they'd drain your blood and do some kind of sacrifice with it i mean yes yeah, seriously these people were, were you know pretty whacked out but anyway that bettee as they call it was the area that was the most celebrated among the culture and yet right in the middle of this ball court where they would play this game there was at Lamanai this big unimaginably heavy stone disc that was about eight inches thick just sitting there in the middle of it and you can imagine if you were running around there how easy it would be to break your toe or whatever kicking that damn thing and so I was talking to our guide who said that he was a descendant of the Maya. I was talking to the guide about this disk, and I was like, why was it right here? And he goes, well, we're not sure, but he said there is something interesting that was discovered by archaeologists. And I said, oh, really? Well, what's that? And he goes, yeah, if you flip this thing over, And I think he said they did it for the first time in 1985. He says, if you flip that stone disc over, there's a little chamber underneath. And the chamber contains liquid mercury. I was like, huh? He goes, yeah. And nobody has an explanation for that. Well, liquid mercury uh is taken from an ore uh, and it goes through a very intensive refinement process and it's a big deal to get your hands on liquid mercury and it was such a big deal even then that he told me that to become a shaman they would take liquid mercury and they would cut one of your veins open and they would rub liquid mercury into it and most people would die but if you lived you had this crazy hallucinogenic experience and then you became a shaman so he said obviously this liquid mercury was of immense power spiritually for for the culture but he said we have no idea exactly how they refined it and we have no idea why that it's here okay well, when he said that, okay, most people who would hear that would be like, well, that's some weird shit. And then they would move on and say, what are we going to have for lunch today? But not me. No, when I heard that, uh, it was a different story because I had just recently been researching liquid mercury. And that's because of a project that the Nazis worked on called Diglaka. The bell. Now, if you've never heard of the bell, basically, um, this is a piece of technology very well documented by uh, various researchers. I think Joseph P. Farrell is one who has done an excellent job of documenting this. It was uh, called the bell because it was a bell shaped metal object that had two counter rotating cylinders full of a substance like liquid mercury inside which would create the most bizarre effects allowing the entire craft to actually levitate Um, it also produced some kind of toxic effect killing plants and whatnot that were near and when you read some of these ancient texts from, you know, like the the, the, the Vimanas and stuff that, that the uh, ancient Indians wrote about, they would talk about liquid mercury being involved in the engines of these craft that are flying around. And so liquid mercury pops up in ancient texts re- regarding UFOs, and then it pops up in more modern texts Technology when it comes to these weird Experiments that you know like the Nazis Were doing and who knows what else is Happening that we don't even know about So I put all this together And then I realized that At that time When Liquid mercury was really Being considered a a Worshipful substance They were saying That Kukulkan was this being who had descended from the sky who was explaining to them what this was all about. Now, I'm teasing you a little bit because I'm not going to read you the whole damn book here, but I will tell you that I followed this train of thought in order to produce this book called The Secret Wisdom of Kukulkann. Published it ten years ago. One guy sent me an email, and he said, "What the fuck did you do to my mind?" And I said, "Is that a compliment or an insult?" He said, "I have never thought about the world this way before." Look, I'm going to read you the first, like, paragraph of my book, "The Secret Wisdom of Kukulcan." By the way, here are the chapters. There are seven chapters. Chapter 1 is What Are You? Chapter 2 is Where Are You? Chapter 3 is Tools to Access the Truth. Chapter 4 is Klan. Chapter 5 is called Wisdom and Time. Chapter 6 is called the Paratemporal Loop Hypothesis, Oh, boy, that's a good one. And then the final chapter, chapter 7, is called Your Purpose and Intention. Let me just read you the first, eh, you know, I'll read you you a few paragraphs of the first page, okay? Listen to this. This is from chapter 1, What Are You? If I took a mighty hand and squashed every bit of water and empty space from your body, You would be the size of a pea I could roll between my fingers. Most of you is nothing. That is why so much will pass through your empty spaces. Radio waves, x-rays, magnetic fields, and so on, slip right through you. A loose cluster of matter has adhered to us, but we are so egocentric... That we usually think of ourselves as a solid and ultimate mass. As time advances and knowledge grows, we understand more and more that we are less and less. So, what are you? You are one infinitely tiny pinpoint of awareness. Surrounded by an ever-changing energy field And yet that quantum speck That is you Can funnel and channel Vast information From the sprawling cosmos From unimaginable dimensions The seat of your being Consciousness and awareness Is an infinitesimally small wormhole And what you know is the information that flows through it, in and out, connecting the energy fields flowing and standing around it. You are a faucet and a drain, pouring forth data and receiving it. That is the permanent you that has always been and will always be. And anything else extending from you is temporary, fluctuating, ...and bound to perpetual cycles of growth and decay in many various forms. Now this tube of information, the dynamic seat of your consciousness, we will call the wormhole brain, or WHB. Though all are similar, no two are exactly alike. Some are larger or smaller than others, uh, able to transfer more or less... Uh, The way in which the information is ultimately processed includes the filters of your physical brain, or lack thereof, as in single-celled organisms. Though the wormhole brains of you, an eagle, a bear, and a shark are equally impressive, the physical brain determines how that initial flow of cosmic information should be used, what is relevant to that particular creature's survival at that particular time in that particular place? So, for example, at the wormhole brain level, you are not necessarily more intelligent than a dog. But the dog's physical brain extracts the information most suitable for the dog's survival needs. Just as yours extracts the information suitable for a human. And yes, when one creature's form dies, it may eventually congeal or reincarnate into another creature's form. But there is really no such thing as death, just decay and transformation. Your life and this realm, as a mature, self-contained soul, begins the moment you are separated from your mother and no longer dependent on her alone for immediate survival. Your life in this realm as a mature, self-contained soul ends the moment your consciousness fully detaches from your energy mold. These are the points when you transition through incarnations. And since all things in the universe are connected, the pattern of the stars and planets can signify things about your cycle astrology is based on time-worn observation of cycles and outcomes hence its ability to define characteristics of your incarnations you don't necessarily remember your past selves there's no point in it as there have been more incarnations of you than sand grains upon the beaches You may catch a glimpse of your recent incarnations once in a while But it's not worth focusing on Any more than focusing on an old car Now that you have a better one And if it's not better Well, it's your job to make it better To create what you want And I'll read you two more sentences Are you ready? Listen to this in the periods of time Between your incarnations The energy field around your wormhole brain Is shaped like a sphere You literally appear As a ball of light That's, that's the beginning of this book That's just to get you started That's to whet your appetite And... I sat down and I read that, and I thought to myself, you know, I believe it's time. Ten years later, I believe it's time for me to finally, and for the first time ever, release this book, The Secret Wisdom of Kukul Khan, as an ebook. I'm talking about a PDF that you can download. Instantly. Because when I wrote this book, you know, ebooks were not such a big thing. Now people love to have instant gratification. And I own all the rights to it because, like I told you, I was not going to let anybody else put their grubby little fingers on this manuscript. It's too valuable. And so I, today, today, on May the 5th, Cinco de Mayo of 2018, I re- released, like 30 minutes ago, The Secret Wisdom of Kukulkan as a, an ebook that you can download and read on any device on my website, joshuapwarren.com. If you go to joshuapwarren.com, there is no period after the P. If you go to joshuapwarren.com and you click the link to the Curiosity Shop, you just scroll all the way down to the bottom, and you will see where you can purchase The Secret Wisdom of Kukwakan, and you can start reading this entire book right now. What I did with this book was try to take the biggest, most vast, incredible concepts And put them in a nutshell. It's kind of like Stephen Hawking did with a brief history of time. This is a brief history of everything. (laughs) Okay, Um, and it's funny because I just sat down this morning and literally transformed this thing into the ebook. Now, because it's a PDF, that means you can read it on any device. A cell phone, a laptop, a tab, a desktop, it doesn't matter. All you need, I mean, PDFs are so common. You click the thing, it opens right up, and you can just start reading, and it's that simple. Um, Also, I will tell you this. um, You know, this kind of knowledge, this kind of wisdom took me a long time to learn and to put together and to assemble and it's always hard to put a price on that so I figured that I would sell this ebook for $14.95 $14.95 but because you listen to this podcast I want you to know that I have decided to create a special re-release discount so, right now, if you go and you purchase this ebook, it's going to be $9.95. So, you're going to save five bucks if you go to joshuapwarren.com and scroll down and order your instant download of The Secret Wisdom of Kukulkan. And, you know, when I created this book, um, let me let me just put it this way i was thinking the whole time i might die at any moment so i'm just going to spill it all out i'm going to be truthful i'm going to say exactly what i want to say and that was 10 years ago um this book however has almost foretold the future because scientific advances are confirming more and more what i was talking about 10 years ago so I hope that you will do that, and if you order it, I want you to also realize you don't need a PayPal account, okay? PayPal is the processor that I use because I like their customer service policies. But if you don't have a PayPal account, that's totally fine. You can still order it. Um, you just have to click the thing that says, you know, pay with a credit or debit card, and and you can pay without any kind of PayPal membership. So if you go to joshuapwarren.com right now, as of this moment, the secret wisdom of CucoCon is there for $9.95. And I'll keep this sale going for, I don't know, maybe maybe a week or two um, to celebrate, you know, what's happening. Uh on the other hand, Eh, why would you want to wait you know why would you want to wait so look uh i I find i find it striking how that science and the paranormal or, or things that have often been considered paranormal are just aligning more and more and more and so when stephen hawking as his sort of deathbed theory says the universe is a hologram and here you have the guy like me who's written this book ten years ago, where I'm saying the same thing basically. I think I'm sure, you know, you can debate that. But I, I said that this is the universe is a hologram or a, a holographic. I called it hollow sentient, as I explain. This shows you more and more that the fringe topics that we have been talking about in this realm of exploration, that some people scoff at, are gradually becoming more and more mainstream it's no different than what happened last year when finally the pentagon admitted that they'd been back engineering ufo debris right here where i am in las vegas so um we are starting to see a convergence and that is opening minds and that's a wonderful thing so anyway um once you read the secret wisdom of kukulkan i'd love to hear from you i'd love to get some of your feedback and let me tell you that book gets into some crazy stuff wait till you dig into the paratemporal loop hypothesis a lot of people talk about this now and they call it the mandela effect i was talking about it long before and i called it something different and came up with an explanation for what's happening the paratemporal loop hypothesis so all that stuff and much much more is in the secret wisdom of Kukulkan and actually um, what's what's really cool is that uh, I was re- as I was going through it I was reading the very last page and here and I'm I'm looking at it right now the very last page of this book says okay I'm going to read you the last sentence of the book I read you the first sentence here's the last sentence the last sentence says this is the secret wisdom Secret, no more. So there is another sentence before that one, which is the really kick ass sentence. But guess what? you gotta buy the book to read that one. <laughs> All right, my friends. um thank you for listening to this podcast, uh, as I've explained to you because I am here in vegas uh, i'm I'm busy. But it turns out that I was supposed to be doing a TV shoot right now, but because of a permitting issue, we're going to be doing the TV shoot after my big event here at the Excalibur instead of before the event. So that gives me a little extra time to sort of play around here. But uh, if you go to JoshuaPWarren.com and you check out the Curiosity Shop, also don't forget to click the link there to this podcast. It's called Joshua P. Warren Daily. It's always short. It's always free. And if you click the link there, you'll see that you can subscribe via various means. And you can also just follow me on Twitter, at Joshua P. Warren, and I will tweet when a new one is available. So, hope you're having a great weekend. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Thank you for staying curious. And I will talk to you again soon.